Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Atlanta Startup Podcast. I'm William Leonard, your host and investor here with Valor Ventures. Valor, we're a leading seed stage venture capital firm in Atlanta, Georgia. And today, on a very cloudy and rainy day in the city of Atlanta, I'm excited to sit down with Mohamed Kamara, founder and CEO of InnoCares. Mohamed, really grateful to have you on the show today, man. Thanks so much for inviting me on, William. I'm excited to talk about learn more about even Valor um, and your guys' investment thesis and um, and then dive into a bit of the things that we do. You are right. It's a bit of a bad weather today, but it's not as bad as where I came from. Um, I used to live in D.C., right, where it's always raining and snowing. So I'll take <laughs> I'll take this little weather than, than the snow. Yeah. Awesome, man. You know, Mohammed. you know, we started a relationship some months ago. And I say from our first initial conversation, I told myself, I was like, this guy is one of the more thoughtful, creative, and caring entrepreneurs I've spoken with. So I'm really glad that you're here today to, to tell your story to our listeners. So let's, you know, let's get into it, man. You know, I'd love for you to kind of dive into what InnoV Cares is and then move to your journey um, of starting the business, because I think that'll really help mold a perspective as to why you built this company and, and emphasize the importance of innovation within modern healthcare today. Sure. And um, so InnovCare itself was began because it was a personal story for me. My sister passed during childbearing. She died of preeclampsia. She was washed at a hospital experiencing hypertension, which is a which is a form of she had high blood pressure that was over 200, but they did, the doctors did not have the opportunity to identify that very early on. And by the time it was identified, it was already too late for her. So she passed. Her child didn't survive either. And she lived behind three kids that automatically became my caregivers. Fast forward, strike two happened in my family as well. This happened in Sierra Leone. And the staggering statistics are... 500,000 women died of pregnancy-related complications every single year globally. Now, if you take that back to the United States, that's 800 women that died of pregnancy-related complications. And something has to be done about that. Strike two happens for me, my family. My aunt died of the same condition in Columbus, Ohio. Thankfully, um, the son survived. The son is five years old now. And my mother, my stepmother and my, um, my dad are caregivers for the son. And so our entire mission at End of Cares is to identify factors that contribute to death during childbirth by helping women of color find culturally competent prenatal and postpartum care. So our entire focus is to ensure that the birthing experience for expectant mothers and as well as mothers-to-be um, goes very smoothly, and we connect them to doctors who are culturally competent to deliver humble care. Interesting. Yeah, I know when you when you told me that story, I was, you know, I was pretty familiar with the the difficulties that oftentimes women of color face during pregnancy and childbearing, but to hear how frequent it is, it's it's really staggering. So I'm glad that you're you're building in this space to find a a proactive solution. So kind of talk to us more about what the application does. You know, the who is the end customer here and how are you getting to that end customer? Yeah, so we have a more of a B2B, B2C approach. The reason why we choose the B2B, B2C approach is cost, right? 
customer acquisition is a little lot less lower when you go B2B in the healthcare space and the sales cycle a lot less um, lower as well, right? So if we consider patients who already have existing relationship with their physicians, in order for you to access those patients, it's probably best for you to go to those physicians, right? Because they already have those existing relationship. So from that that mindset, we sell directly to group practices and individual practices. And we provide them with our technology. They pay us on a subscription basis um, to use our platform. We have both a patient app and a provider app. When I use the word provider, I mean doctors and other healthcare providers. We sell directly to them. And then they use the platform to see their patients. And their patients are medically underserved. Some of our providers are medically underserved patients. So patients that may have maybe insured or maybe insured through Medicaid, right? Um, And then eventually as we scale, we will reach patients who pairs um, and health systems. When I use the word pairs, I mean health insurance companies. They oftentimes have Medicaid patients that they manage will come in and manage the cost of those Medicaid patients by providing prenatal and postpartum care. Gotcha. So, you know, this is this application live in the app store right now. Is it something you have to go and get through your provider? Yeah. So the onboarding experience for providers, they normally will share the application. It's live on iOS and Android. Mm-hmm. And so it also helps when it integrates to an existing EHR system. When I use mm-hmm. EHR, I mean electronic health records. So it, so that it, it is an easy workflow for that physician. Physicians are very, very busy and they have many people selling to them. And so simply a way for us to coexist and not disrupt their usual workflow is to ensure that that uh, app fits into their workflow, the existing EHR um, system. Gotcha. So you've kind of built this this application, this interface to to really democratize telehealth and, and wellness solutions for medically underserved women. Is that correct? Are you solely targeting women right now? Yeah, so we, we are, our passion and our heart is focused on women. We know that 80% of healthcare decisions is made by women. And oftentimes what, what we've seen our users is they will come in and then they will bring in their kids, right? Because it's mother and child. But then they often sometimes will bring in their husband as well. So it's a, it becomes a ripple effect, right? But we focus our attention on the mother. Then they will bring in their child and their family along as well. Because our biggest advocate are the mother, right? 80% of healthcare decisions is made by women. So we focus on them. Mm-hmm. And is it solely for women who are pregnant or is it women who are, you know, seeking to get pregnant as well? Yeah, so it's, it's generally for women, um, either um, women that are expecting to get pregnant or seeking to get pregnant or even uh, just women that are looking to stay well, right? Mm-hmm. They need a community of um, all the women that are curious about their well-being. So these are women. So I will give you a very use case here. Mm-hmm. One of our very first patients we had a chance to take care of, um, um, 33-year-old nurse practitioner ex- experiencing infertility issue. She tried everything under the sun and we were her last resort. So she found us online, booked an appointment with Dr. Alawidi, one of our culturally competent trained physicians. They spoke for about 30 minutes. And he told the treatment plan for her to try for infertility. She went and tried it a month after she texted us here and pregnant. Nine months after John, um, her three-year-old now was born alive and well. 
Mm-hmm. But then out of that wonderful experience of birthing the child, to our help, um, was the fact that she wanted to come back to the platform because she had gained an extra pound to lose the extra pound. She was experiencing postpartum depression. So she came mm-hmm. back to the platform to connect with other moms that are going through similar experiences, just other women in general, so that she would go on bike rides, retract her steps, and then give her rewards for adopting healthy behavior. So it's far mm-hmm. beyond just pregnant mom or expectant mom. It's also it's a woman's app that allows for women to connect to culturally competent doctors. Yeah. So it sounds like you've you've built this app that's really bridging the the access to telehealth for these medically underserved women, but it's also a community as well for women who can just share thoughts, ideals, experiences, tips on how to navigate some of the the everyday difficulties that they're facing, right? Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Awesome. And when you think about, you know, the the state of modern healthcare for, for underrepresented individuals, you know, where do you where do you see the industry right now? Is there a lot of advancement in uh, advancement of innovation in the space? Is it pretty antiquated? You know, what's what's your viewpoint on the industry? Because you know, you've you've been building innovative cares for um, I feel like over two two or three years now. So you've yeah. you've been in the space. You've been able to see the competitive landscape. Been able to see companies that have been successful. You know, what's your take on the industry right now as of September 2021? Yeah, so antique, yes. Progress, yes, being made. And the progress was the fact that, unfortunately, this happened, COVID happened, right, in um, 2020. And as a result, COVID happened, the spike of telehealth adoption increased. And there was very a very key specialty, primary care doctors, right? We're usually PCP that grew 6,000 percent, and that's astronomical. That's huge, right? Because that percentage usually they're very slow to adopt. Healthcare is very slow to adopt technology, but the need for telehealth then has increased. What what caused the problem as well too is after that increase and we saw that spike, a lot of physicians started saying, "How can we stay on on the edge? How can we reach patients?" online right how do we communicate with our patients that i don't want to even come into the office anymore because they've been told don't come into the office because of your safety and so there you see a growth there continuing yeah we're going to start continue continue to see the growth but it's going to dip as well right where it's a normal growth it's not a six thousand percent however the adoption is going to continue with with the new laws um and expansion of medicaid in several states right that's going to continue. The only, I'm hoping in this space, especially in the space that we serve the medically underserved, the omnibus bill is one bill that needs to be passed. And that, when that bill passes, and crossing our fingers here, it passes, it gives an extension of care for the mother for six weeks, right? When, when care is um, given to the mom, the child, the child gets care for six weeks. Mm-hmm. They're able to get care um, postpartum. However, the mom Medicaid is cut off at six weeks. That's 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 that needs to change because the mom needs the same care that the child is receiving. Um, so hopefully that expansion of care then continue to um, grow in of cares and its reach. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the other thing as well, this is the thing that insurance companies are very concerned about. It costs a mom 
$3,000 to birth their child, right? That's what it costs. Now, it costs the health system before 28 weeks, $190,000 to birth a child, preterm, so 28 weeks. That's staggering. They need to, they need to they find a solution to manage that cost. How can we ensure, it, ensure that we identify the factors that lead to death, i.e. critical measure, right? Hypertension, diabetes. These are the conditions that will actually cause those complications. How can we identify them very early on and treat them before they come before, before they become very expensive and risky, i.e. lead to death? That's mm-hmm. what happened to my sister. So that $190,000 that it costs the health system before 28 weeks, health equity is, is it's an important topic for health insurance companies and health systems now. How can we manage that cost effectively and reach these patients before it gets too risky? Yeah. And so that's where we step in. Yeah. You know, you, you, you hit the nail on the head there, the, the cost of, of childbirth. Um, and you think about the inequities that come along with that cost and, and who it really impacts the most. Um, and it's those medically underserved women. So I'm glad that you all are stepping in here and, you know, there, there's a lot of pending legislation around um, the care rights as well. So I'm excited to see, you know, some of that, that legislation come into action and really change the trajectory of, you know, healthcare, modern healthcare for underrepresented, underserved communities. And I, I want to transition here a bit, Mohammed. You know, you've, you're, you're an entrepreneur in the healthcare space, you know, at a fairly early stage. So my, my question to you is, you know, as other founders who are maybe pre-seed, seed, as they really think about solidifying their business model, whether they want to be B2B or B2B2C, you mentioned cost as a big factor as to why you built that B2B2C model. But what are some of the other factors that early stage founders in healthcare sh- should consider in terms of um, business model and who they want to sell to? Yeah. So if you go in and raise a million dollars at a pre-seed, which companies would tend to do here in, in this space, most of that cost spend will be, if you're smart, for us, we thankfully, we, we were smart enough on how to manage and build the technology because we had our in-house um, team, right, tech team. So all of our spend as we raise money, right, it's going to be on hiring sales. The sales cycle for insurance companies traditionally is 12, 12 to 18 months, right, to close an insurance deal. But that, what that will reveal for that close is maybe you will get access to 100,000 of their members that are medically underserved. That's so they serve Medicaid. That's a spike. That's a huge spike. Then you're managing a large population group. You take that back, though, you have to be very cognitive and say, in the meantime, before your company dies, start up where very aware of that, before your company dies, what are, the, what are the smaller layers that you can peel? You can talk to healthcare providers and onboard the other markets because there's two side marketplaces for us. We have patients, we have providers. The doctors first, go and onboard them. They're a little more, their sales cycle is a little less lengthier. It's usually four weeks or sometime um, a day, two days, depending on their need, right? Sales cycle is a little less lengthy. You get the physicians on board, you train our physicians. So we always train our physicians to be culturally competently trained. So those are physicians that are trained in humble care and as well as implicit buyers, both black doctors and Latin doctors and white doctors, we train them. So go through that. 
you onboard your trend, you, you onboard the physicians first. So then when you get that insurance deal, right, that big deal that will produce lots of members and the employers, your, your physicians are ready to take care of those uh, members that will be then funnel pool your channel. So that's, uh, that's where we look at it instead of going directly to, to consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, insurance companies have those existing relationships. Go to the B2B first, but be smart enough and don't, don't die in the meantime <laughs> and, and go with the smaller guys first, the, the healthcare providers where you wish you can close faster. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that sales cycle of, of 12 to 18 months, that could really impact your, your sales funnel velocity, um, especially as an early company. So that's great advice. And you, you gave a good list of things to keep in mind there. But, you know, stepping back from a general company building perspective, you know, what, what are some other insights or advice that you have for early stage founders building a startup in general? It doesn't have to be specifically healthcare, but you know, what are some other yeah. insights and advice? I see you're excited to talk about this. I mentor a couple, a couple of other companies as well here. Talk about Atlanta. Atlanta, I always knew that I was going to come here. I was living in D.C. and some of the companies that have done an incredible job here. So I was an entrepreneur in resident for Goody Nation. And so I see very early, early on some of these companies that recently have raised a million and a half, a uh, million point seven um and some of them have gone they've done an incredible job but this is a, this, this is a, some of the these are the companies i saw i saw very early on right with just an idea um and one of the insights that let's that i share always is don't build go test first right go first out there and talk to users and, and let them teach you what to build i think it's very important and that's what i did at least for my company I went and talked to users first. I talked to those physicians and they tell me exactly what to build. And then I went and built it and said, hey, I've built what you told me to build. Are you going to buy now for me? Right. Um, and they were, they were willing to because I listened to exactly what they want me to build. Well, well, and, well I want to yeah. ask you, you know, what's the practical step there? Because it's like, go out and talk to your customer first. But are you, were you reaching out through LinkedIn? Were you actually going to the physical clinics? Like, what was the actual practical you know, steps to, to speaking to these customers? Because I'm sure it's, yeah. as, a, as a small startup with just an idea, it's not easy to get in front of executives and, and pick their brain. So what are some sure. insights around that? So um, one, one key way for me was um, I attended some healthcare conference. One of the our first physicians that we got in, in, in his practice, Dr. Alawoody, I met him at a John Hopkins Healthcare Business, Business of Healthcare conference. Um, we met there and I reached out to him afterwards and, and share my story. And he's like, really? That's, the, that's all the patients that, that high, I take care of high-risk patients, right? Medi- Medicaid, med- Medicaid patients. So yeah, you can launch my practice. So that was one conversion. And we saw a thousand patients in this practice. And then he referred us to another practice. So you focus on doing a good job of that one single fit, um, customer. You do a very good job of that. You, you reduce the A1, A1C level of those patients. And then they refer you to others, right? And so the, through those referrals, that's how we've been able to do it. Now, the other way as well that we're broadcasting, so a lot of healthcare providers and, and executives, I, I, I will either send a LinkedIn message to, and then they will respond. Um, or they will say something, they'll take a couple of months, um, days to respond, but they will respond, and then I'll tell them about the podcast. I say, can you, can you come on my podcast? From there, the conversion happens. They find out about, oh, you do beyond just, and amplify my voice because people like to talk about themselves and to find my voice you you have a company as well it's like yeah i do and then i it, authentically share about anal care and then usually they will refer, refer me or if they have individual perspective they, they get onboarded 
Mm-hmm. That's how the sales cycle for me at least it feels like. Yeah. So there's not one real strategy. It's just exposure, right? Exposure and, and leveraging referrals from doing a, a great job and getting that exposure. So it, it kind of shows the, the full circle um, trajectory there. That's really interesting. And, you know, you, you mentioned this, um, that you always knew that you wanted to be in Atlanta. And, and we'll touch on that in a few because I definitely want to dig in there. But, you know, what has what have things been like for you all this year in terms of big wins, big um, product development? You know, what is what does success look like for NF Cares thus far this year? Yeah, so this year has been interesting. We we took in our first check um, from Jumpstart Foundry, which is our initial investor, and um, back back in April, and we got into another program that gave us twenty k an underload of capital, and we got into Google for Startups. So during that program, Google for Startup itself, um, we've been able to. They chose us as like one company that they were able to do a Google developer story on. And so that story itself is, is in October. And that will air in the Google developer um, YouTube channel, which has a million, million um, um, followers. And it will also live on the Google front page. So that will drive a lot of traffic to the user for the consumer side, right? Which is really um, an awesome, awesome thing for us. And we've been able to, we brought in... Um, 3,500 patients, um, modest 120K in revenue um, so far. So we're just, um, we're doing the hard stuff the hard way until we get a big contract. Yeah, that's awesome, yeah. man. I'm excited to see the the, the Google news and, and watch the video on YouTube for sure. We'll have to um, make sure our listeners can, can see that as well. And, you know, when I first spoke with you, I think you were still in Silver Spring in, in the DMV area, but, you know, you've since relocated to you know i'm biased but the best city in the southeast atlanta of course so big facts (laughs) so mohammed what was what was the driving factor behind relocating out of the dmv to the southeast to atlanta specifically why why did you make that move so it has to be a couple of things for us you look at the economic landscape right in the healthcare space diabetes I, i love our people but we like sugar we love our meals Fly food, and usually what that leads to is diabetes, um, hypertension. Um, Grady Hospital is a health system that has some of the worst statistics when it comes to birth and child, maternal, maternal rates, right? So I look at some of all those statistics. I'm like, okay, it makes sense. I learned it is. I can serve the people that look like me, medically underserved here, and it just makes complete sense to be down here in the South. And so that's how one way I identify that, hey, I need to return here. But I, and then I also love the culture. DC is unique, but it's not, it's not Atlanta. Um, Atlanta, you feel as though you're home. You're serving people that, that look like you, that have the need that you're trying to break in the market, you're trying to break into. And the health systems, they're here as well. They all t- are trying to address the same problem. Maternal health crisis is staggering and high. And um, it just made sense to make the move. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you're the... I think you're the third person I've talked to in the last like, three months that has relocated from either the Northeast or out West to, to really build their business here. And you talk about the existing infrastructure, like enterprises, health systems, you know, the cultural diverse nature of this region. Those are the key underpinnings as to why. So it's really exciting to hear 
that you're here. And I think you were recently accepted into the ATDC as well. Um, and, and, and that's been just such an amazing program for a lot of companies, not only in the city of Atlanta, but in the state of Georgia. I, I had um, one of the fintech catalysts, Kristen Slink, um, from ATDC on a few episodes ago. And, you know, she spoke about what the, the key value, are, value adds are that they bring to a lot of the companies they work with. So I think you're in good hands over there for sure. So I'm excited to see your growth and trajectory over these next, you know, 12, 24 months here, Muhammad. So really, re- really appreciate you joining me for this conversation today, man. I'm excited that you're one here in Atlanta to the, the specific customer type that you're targeting and, you know, the, the health benefits, the health value adds that you're seeking to bring to them. And I think you're going to build something really special here um, in the city of Atlanta. So listeners definitely keep Muhammad on your radar, how can our listeners kind of get in touch with you to learn more about uh, end of cares? By, by the way, so um, thank you for that question, William. And so just validate that he loves Atlanta. Congratulations again on a, on a new home. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm revealing it to, a, um, to your listeners, but that just validated that the man loves Atlanta and he's here for the long term That's um, right. within, with his new home, um, which is super exciting. Um, people can find us on um, on um, innofcares.com. There's also, we're on Iris and Android. The app is on there. Um, my personal email is mkamar at innofcares.com. So that's M as in Mary K-A-M-A-R-A at innofcares.com. Just stream an email, I respond. And um, we are, if you find, you can also find us on different podcast channels as well. We, mm-hmm. we do what we call the InnoCares. Empowered Patient Podcast. Um, we're on there. So please reach out. We'll love to chat. Um, anyone that have insight or have been personally impacted by this, we'll love to, love to chat with you. Perfect. Perfect. Muhammad, thank you again for joining me today, man. And we'll certainly be sure to have you back on the podcast here soon. All right. Thanks, William. Really all appreciate right. you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Atlanta Startup Podcast. You know, we're not just a podcast, we're a community, and we'd love to see you at one of our digital or physical events. Go to valor.vc and sign up for an event that makes sense for you. We have events for founders and the investors who back them. Another event you might enjoy is Startup Runway. The Startup Runway Foundation is a Valor organization that provides $10,000 grants to founders who are women or people of color building next generation software products. Applications are free, and we'd love to hear from you at startuprunway.org. That's startuprunway.org. And as always, thank you so much to the organizations that make this podcast possible. Not only Valor Ventures, but also Right to Market, a tech marketing and PR agency in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Startup Runway Foundation, and Atlanta Tech Park, Valor's headquarters, and also headquarters for over 100 local entrepreneurs building global businesses. See you next week. Please bookmark the podcast and join us.